Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. Today, we are super excited to have on our podcast, Steve Ward, um, for the second time, welcome back, and his co-authors, Madeline and April, who are coming out with their most recent book, 2100 Plus Inexpensive Ideas for Play and Intrinsic Motivation. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm happy to have you guys back, and I'd love if you could start just by introducing yourselves, telling us a little bit about you. Um, I'll be quick because I have introduced myself here before. Okay, true. I'm uh, Steve Ward, Whole Child Consulting. Uh, I have special interest in social repertoires and additional learner repertoires, interest in shaping behaviors. Some of the the things that are a little more, um, a little bit less frequently talked about. Uh, I guess maybe that's what makes them more interesting to me. So <laughs> we'll, uh, I, I'm done. <laughs> I'm April Dial. Um, I graduated from the University of South Florida. I have similar interests as Steve does, um, but also on more on the play side. I'm Madeline Vickery. Um, I have worked with Steve uh, for quite some time, so I would say that I have a lot of similar interests as him as well. Um, and. It's been nice having him as a mentor to really develop um, understanding of everything that he's given. Awesome. It's so great to have you on. Uh, we had just gotten a question in our mentorship not too long ago about what to do if you've got a child who isn't really, you know, liking anything you're trying to provide. So can't find any functional reinforcers, you know, can't really tap into that motivation. Um, and then, you know, we were talking about your book and went, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. So <laughs> I actually can't wait, wait to read this myself. Oh, thank um, you. Do you want to tell us a How little bit How would you answer it? the question? <laughs> <laughs> I'll forge you the link. You can answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The book would be one place to look for some ideas for that. Uh, I will start off with congratulations to the person having the question, recognizing that there is a need for something to be done differently. So at least, you know, this uh, teacher, professional parent is not going to continue 
trying to use ineffective consequences as reinforcers. Uh, the first thing is try something different. Just explore things you haven't done before. Rotate the things you did two years ago and see if they're fresh again. Um, and uh, I'll give one more bit and I'll pass it on to my co-authors to see if they have some other bits they want to add in. One of the parts that is a little bit deeper, I think, is that people, even some really skilled behavior analysts, sometimes err in the sense of wanting to use something as a reinforcer, as a consequence in the pre-MAC arrangement for a low probability behavior. Uh, something the kid is not so inclined to do and they're trying to reinforce when like, oh, let's, uh, I don't know, just top of my head, pom-poms. All right, so we have a younger kid maybe <laughs> and they're going to try pom-poms and those have been a reinforcer, but they're not a reinforcer for handwriting. They'd only be a reinforcer for like looking and reaching and imitating and asking. Simpler, higher probability behaviors and putting them as the consequence for uninteresting behaviors tends to decrease that range, right? Because everything costs something. So maybe I'll just kind of sit here <laughs> instead of doing all these low probability things to earn something. Such a good point. You know, I think about the training that I do in terms of reinforcement. And one of the things that affects reinforcement is, you know, the magnitude of reinforcement. And it's, you know, sometimes you don't really understand, well, what, what do you mean by magnitude? Or what do you mean by the effort of reinforcement? And you're right, like, okay, so you know what, I'm used to doing a lot of these high probability responses, and I get your praise, praise isn't enough for the handwriting, because that's super difficult for me, or pom poms are fluffy, and they're really fun. But you know what, I, I'd rather have, like, I'd rather just not do handwriting. So such a good point. Yeah, that you've got to think about the activity first. Yeah, big part of it. I think to add to that a little bit, you know, I think it would be good to take a step back and kind of observe your learner. What what are they engaging in? What do they enjoy? You can put a, several different stimuli in front of them, see what they gravitate to first before you go and you try to put a task in front of it. Yeah, I was cool. going to say, you just, you know, you have to ask yourself which of these components is most enjoyable for this learner if, you know, they're engaging with whatever activity and then just begin brainstorming those new play activities or ideas from, from there. I was working with a learner the other day and, you know, reinforcement is tough and uh, he doesn't love a lot of things. And I realized that the reinforcement was me and it wasn't an actual thing. So like I had this in my hands. I had just a cup full of air in my hands and I said, oh, I've got something in here. I mean, it could have been a block. It could have been anything. It could have been probably a worm. I'm not going to give someone a worm unless it's a gummy worm, but I've got something in here, you know, and they looked at it and then, you know, whatever they did, I went, oh, look, and I opened my hands and there was nothing in my hands, but I made it up. Look at it's a pretend blah, blah, blah. Do you want it? Do you want to smell it? Look, it's a flower. Do you want? <laughs> and just my tone of voice, just my um, enthusiasm was enough. And I think that's sometimes what therapists don't understand is that someone could work for a pom-pom and it's, hey, here you go, because I like the texture, I like the feel, and I want to play with it by myself. And other people need to work for that pom-pom because it's related to you. And this is a pom-pom so cool. I'm going to tickle you with it or whatever it is, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some of our kids, we, they, they want to do the hiding games, uh, which shows like, that's one of the ultimate proofs. I think I put that in somewhere in the introduction in the book. So it's fresh in my mind. Um, they want this plastic dinosaur, 
Uh, but the process is a really good example of intrinsic motivation. The process of finding the dinosaur was actually, for some kids, more fun than having the dinosaur, right? And when that process becomes the fun, then it's like, great, we don't have to worry about candy and cavities and all this other stuff and have a time on the iPad. We're finding things, so we know that's the important component of the play. I love those suggestions, but I also know that something I come across a lot in a school setting is that we're in a classroom, and so we're limited with, um, you know, the things that we can offer them, like there aren't always toys, or there aren't always, you know, activities. So what are some ways that you can suggest maybe like looking at the environment that you're in, and building that motivation with what you have? Right, right. We can't, uh, we can't always be loud. Um, yeah. all, all of those things are true. Uh, there's, I'll, I'll limit this part to 20 seconds because it's an article mm -hmm. that may not, I might not have finished writing. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I can't say when it might come to out. Be but, uh, <laughs> to be continued. To be continued. I've started um, getting responders to a questionnaire, and I don't think I have enough yet, about the social validity of different strategies being used in classrooms. And taking it from the teacher's perspectives, the aides' perspectives, the superintendent's perspectives, they're not so keen on kids in a regular ed third grade classroom having candy every five minutes for doing work. They're like, nope, that doesn't happen in where we are. So there is some social validity questions that we're not used to asking ourselves about that. I think that puts the onus that much more on us um, to be able to present the actual academic expectations or social expectations in a way that itself is as much fun as possible or very surmountable. Um one more bit and I'll turn it over so I don't hog all of the time with it. One of the ways of, of making things that if they're not, not everything is going to be fun. I, I can't sell it that, Hey, everyone make everything fun. That's, that's dishonest. It's not everyone's going to have a great time doing everything <laughs> in a class of one to 20, especially. Uh, but we can put in some loops, some feedback loops where we help our learner be in touch with um, clear indicators of whether they met goals in like, as an example, short-term timings, those lend themselves really nicely to, did I get above the line in my 30-second timing? It only took 30 seconds. I feel great if I got above the line. So we don't necessarily have to have pom-poms shaking all around in the middle of a, of a classroom. I love that intrinsic motivation. There you go. Like, that's great. I mean, I think that it's this is an opportunity for the teacher or the instructor to also you know, make them pair themselves with that reinforcement and have fun, show some enthusiasm. Yeah. What, we can be enthusiastic? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not all day, all the time, right. but you can have fun with your job. What? <laughs> How dare you guys? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, over time, enough of these interesting experiences become generative and then it's easier and easier to learn new things and accept new skills and variation. Uh -huh. And I think what you said, April, earlier about um, notice the learner and like look at what they're interested in. And I think so often we get so stuck in the typical, you know, tangible reinforcers. And I get staff who say, well, they're so attention seeking and all they want is to talk to me. And like, you know, I offer them a video where I offer them a game and they don't want it. I'm like, well, look at their reinforcer that it's you like it's the attention. So I think it, it helps us to think about like really getting to know the learner and trying to use the things that may seem like disruptive or may seem um, like challenges as reinforcers. Cause those they already want. So let's use those in building up, you know, that repertoire. 
Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, and if you really think about it, if you're the reinforcer, it doesn't get any more inexpensive than that. Totally. <laughs> Just hiring. Very hiring. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, you have to spread yourself around if there's more than if you're with more than one kid, you have to spread yourself around that way and build some tolerance of your attention being shared and diverted and things like that a little bit. But yeah, other than that, it's free as long as you have a chance to rest after work. I think about this, even from a supervisor standpoint, you know, in terms of attention, right? So what is motivation for staff to listen to us, right? And a lot of the time, it's our attention. And how do we give as a supervisor, how do we give our attention to our supervisees, or not even supervisees, just people who work for us, right? And, and making sure we're not spreading ourselves thin too. But that's a whole other, that's a whole other rabbit hole. Maybe that can be your next book. There we go. <laughs> Um, well, I know, uh, you know, Steve and your background in play and, and all of that, but April and Madeline, what, what brought you into, like, what do you do beyond this that brought you into being interested in play and motivation? And tell us a little bit about that. I think that in all honesty, I've always been interested in play. It's one of the reasons why I, I don't want to say one of the reasons why I got into this field, but one of the reasons why I've worked with children for a couple decades now, um, and then incorporating it, being able to incorporate it back into your career, there's nothing better. I mean, to to walk into work and to know that you're going to get to play with someone in a meaningful way for yourself and for them is all I really needed in life. So I guess to answer your question, it, I have always been into play and having fun. Um, I, love, I was going to say, don't you love being, um, you know, telling people what your job is? You know, my standard answer was, oh, I work with kids with autism. But I think our standard answer needs to be, well, I play for a living. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the bigger obstacles I run into is being asked like, well, what are you doing right now? It looks like you're just playing. And I'm like, Oh no, I can walk you through each and every little step that I'm, I'm taking in this play to incorporate skill building. It just may look like a facade of play, but it's all about fun. Right. And I think um, one of the things is motivation. It's very powerful and it can strengthen so many um, learners repertoires and ultimately you know, over time through this play, you're building a history of positive experiences um, and it just it's more enjoyable and you get more um, responding in return. And you're reaching a learner who ultimately may have not been so reachable before you introduce these play um, ideas and identified the motivation. Yeah, I love that. I also think one of the things that we struggle with probably with play is that our kids tend to not be interested in play. So, and we see like what you both said, there's so much value to like expanding their play and teaching through play. So how do you balance that challenge where you get, you know, a learner who really just wants to play on with one thing in the same way all the time um, and may not be naturally motivated to like expand their play or share their play or go back and forth with play. How do you, how do you expand that for them while also keeping their, um, their interests in mind because they don't want to do that, you know? So there's that balance of like, they're not motivated naturally to do that, but you have to want, you want to build on that. Right. Right. Great question. Uh, uh, I'll debrief again. Um, it, it depends partly on the age 
Um, and it depends partly upon uh, how intense their interest is in that one thing. I think the the obvious example for the one thing would be the iPad. That's one of the most common things that kids will want to spend maybe most of their possible waking time on <laughs> if they can. Uh, a big part of that challenge is that whatever else we bring in for a kid who's really, really into the iPad, whatever else we bring in is automatically irrevocably compared with the iPad. It's, so everything pales because, hey, that's not iPad, right? So so one of the things we'll do if we have a lot, most usually, um, if we have a lot of room for growth in expanding their interests and getting some basic social things going, one of the things we'll do is that'll, you know, just practice being calm and tolerant of losing access for a moment and for two moments and, you know, four and a half moments and uh, getting that tolerance built up so that there's a window of opportunity to build other things in. Um, another way thinking about it, and I'll, I'll end on this point. If I'm thinking about, let's say someone in their mid teens and they have one or two interests and there's no real natural social interest right now. Well, I don't, it, it's not socially valid and it's, it's unfair. I, I don't need to make them look like other 15 year olds look because they want to play games with other people. They don't have to play basketball, right? That's, that's fine. That's on, that's their choice. Right. Uh, but we will, I will be looking for establishing a comfortable understanding of some of the things that like, you don't just wake up, play with the iPad. Someone feeds you while you're playing with the iPad and then you still have the iPad, then you go to bed. Uh, like there's, there's going to be cleaning your, yourself. There's going to be helping to prep your meals. Uh, there's going to be some things built in and the iPad is heavily available in between those times. And I'm looking at some of those things. This is why I needed to add to the title of the book uh, that it's not just all play. Some is also intrinsic motivation. So the steps of getting ready to put some things away that we needed to do, we're putting the vacuum cleaner in the closet now. Um, that's going to be pretty naturally motivating as that's one of the last steps that comes before 45 minutes of unimpeded iPad time where you grab your charger and that's part of the chain. We build up these increasingly complex chains that are maintained by the consequences inherent in the chain, leading to the iPad as your as your touchstone for the day. So it's like completing a task becomes motivating because it means this is done, I can move on to the next thing. Yep, yep, exactly. But not so much in, in the, not like, okay, give me your iPad, do this work, have your iPad back. Give me your iPad, do this work, have your iPad back. You can only do some of that. <laughs> if someone's really passionate about the iPad, we can make a little bit of ground that way. Um, and, and I'll stop there before I talk for the next 20 minutes. So. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can add to that a little bit because I've actually experienced this exact same scenario with a teenager. Um, his main reinforcer, was his phone and watching videos on his phone. So what did I end up doing was I ended up trying to like integrate myself into the situation and I'd peek over and I'd be like, what are you watching? And I noticed that he was watching a lot of um, videos that had songs or even sounds of roller coasters, that kind of stuff. And so in between when he was able to put down the device, I would make those sounds. I would start singing those songs and then I would like stop or I changed the words. And this way I was working with his intrinsic motivation and building in some social. Great. Yeah. 
I would say a lot of it is also about the presentation of, you know, the material or whatever it may be. Um, you have a learner that may enjoy task completion, but doesn't initiate um, the task. So, you know, how do we present this or has difficulty making choices or transitioning? Um, so maybe you put some a list of activities inside of a balloon on some paper and blow it up. And he really loves cause and effect. So he pops the balloon and what activity did you get? Um, things like that. I'm totally stealing that. That is awesome. <laughs> Eddie has dozens of ideas like that one. They're great. I was blown away. Wow. It's so creative. But I think also it's something so many of us struggle with is like the creativity and um, the fun and, and just being naturally engaging with play. And I'm curious if you have any suggestions like as we train new BCBAs, what would you suggest how do we bring that out in people? How do we get our supervisees to be more invested in these types of things and being creative and, and being engaging? Cause that's really how you reach, you know, the kids. Sure. Yeah. I'm going to answer this one. Just read their book and steal all their ideas. Have you answered the rest of the questions for us? Thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of things. And of course, um, most places that most clinics and schools and, and people that do value the play are using the BST approach as part of it. Let me model, let's talk through it. You try it. I'll coach you as you're doing it. And of course, that's a very valid way to go. I find that um, we can sometimes enhance that um, by supplementing it with really a, kind of like our feedback loops for the learner. Look at that. You made your 30 second goal for the rate of behavior X, whatever it was. Uh, so you can feel good about that. You can log it somewhere. Um, I want my teachers to be taking data on the wins. And I define a win as, you know, by the kid as something that's really achievable. We got, they approached you for three steps. They made some eye contact for a moment, um, you know, whatever. Um, I give some small examples. If I get them measuring the wins um, in real time as much as possible, then they can see their successes uh, and then I'm hopefully creating that feedback loop. There's a lot more examples, of course, of where that should go as this evolves. Using their intrinsic motivation and and tapping into if data is motivating, which we hope it is. <laughs> yeah, hopefully so. As we come by and say, well, look at that data, right? <laughs> they're they're interested in doing well with us. True. You know, presumably we have that part started, then yeah, with praise. Attention for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I think that you can use that data to kind of, um, broaden their awareness of their own behaviors and that then can transform into intrinsic motivation. Oh, wow. I'm doing a great job. Oh, look at that. This kid's actually looking at me now. Oh, that's never happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, do a Steve Ward competency where of expanding interest and have him tell you, so what exactly is the motivation here? Um, and looking, looking at the learner and, looking at it from a different perspective, not just the play, but what is continuing this and, you know, having to answer within 10 seconds or you ask another one. <laughs> What's in it for them to respond? <laughs> Such a good point. So you, you're in play, you do this all the time, but what made you decide to write this book? Yeah, good question. Um, I think the, it's been an ongoing challenge to get creativity, you know, to, to your guys' questions. How do we get people to be creative? 
and it's there's a lot of institutional reasons uh, that people might sort of fall towards. Uh, let me run the program, have the reinforcer time, log the data. You know, there's a lot of institutional reasons that can start to happen, um, and sometimes the creativity is just not encouraged enough. As it is getting encouraged, as we're encouraging people, like this is important, and and they hopefully they act like they believe us when we tell them this in person. Uh, then we still see sometimes where they're really trying to get something going, but they just don't know what else to do with something. Right? We're just pushing on a swing. It's like pushing is nice, but we don't want the same exact interaction over and over and over for a very long time. It's not as productive as it could be. Um, so as we encourage their creativity, and there's sometimes still a struggle. Um, then this book was just, we were sitting around talking um, and saying, man, if, if I had this kid at this place, I could be doing this, that, 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 and that. And basically in like two minutes, we had 15, 18 ideas of what we would do with a body of water. And we just thought, well, why not just write that down? <laughs> write down it, it seemed like an easy idea to get started. Let's just write down all the things we can do with things that are in the house and in a clinic and everything. Creative as I can imagine it would be so fun to write that. Just the three of you sitting around going, okay, now what? Oh, I have this idea. Oh, what about this? Oh my, I've never done that before. I've got to try that one. Yeah. And yeah, I love that it fun. sounds like it's everything that you can use like tomorrow. You know, you don't need a lot of like training. It's just like, here's some great ideas, which like will, you know, enhance your sessions right away. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's meant to be very easily understood. There was a, a few points in there that, that April and Maddie put in some really creative things. And I was like, I don't understand what it is that you're, how this game works. And then we we got uh, some help, especially from April's husband, Oscar, um, doing some nice graphics for us. We're getting some videos put up at Apple uh, Learner Repertoires. Um, so there will be some, some nice models available for people that struggled the way I did reading the descriptions in the first place of some of the games. <laughs> I love that. Um, so one of the, uh, most of our audience, I would say, is new to the field, newly minted BCBAs, or we have, you know, even for the experienced BCBA, we always like to ask our guests, what is some advice that you would have to offer a newly minted BCBA or share just some good advice that someone has given you along the way? My, my standard response that I've gotten from mentors as well is make sure that you get input from multiple sources whether that's different authors you like reading, different podcasts you like listening to, um, someone at the job with more experience than you, get get input from multiple sources. Love that. Yeah, I think mine would be, don't be afraid to jump in and get your hands dirty. Um, mm -hmm. Providing that oversight with, with a hands-on approach had, would 100% be my advice. And don't don't be afraid to to get out there and be silly. I think it's so true. And so often we feel like, well, now, you know, we're the supervisor or we're the BCBA. So we get more removed from the clients when really like, don't be afraid to just get in there and your value is going to be in the modeling and in the training. Um, so I think that's so important. So thank you. Um, Madeline, what about you? Um, I would say really, you, you know, hold on to that supervisor or that mentor that pushes you and, you know, to grow and analyze and problem solve and, you know, gives that feedback and really take that feedback. Um, and yeah. Maddie's exceptional at taking the feedback. <laughs> and applying it for sure. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Keep your supervisors close and your mentors close, even closer. Um, so how can people learn more about you or 
you know, purchase your book when it's available. Let us know. How's that? Um, thank you for the question. Um, <laughs> I have a website, wholechildconsulting.com. I always like to point out as whole with a W, of course. Um, makes a lot more sense than the other spelling. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, as I said, we're putting up, is it, make sure I get this right, April, at Good Learner Repertoires. Is there a .com with that? No, uh, no, because that's on Instagram. It's the handle. Oh, it's a handle. We're learning. We're learning about it. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like Smokey and the Bear thing. <laughs> okay, so Good Learner Rep- Repertoire on Instagram and Whole Child Consulting mm-hmm. uh, on the web. And also, you're doing a webinar for us in a few weeks from now, and I'm really excited about that, too. So it's on... Tuesday, February 5th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, For those of you who can join live and those of you who can't, uh, it will be recorded afterwards to view asynchronously. You mean March 5th, right? Yes, March 5th. It's already, yes. Thank you. This time is like flying by. So Tuesday, Tuesday, March 5th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, for those of you who are members, just log in. And for those of you who aren't, just join. Um, join for the webinar. It's going to be amazing. So you'll, you'll be talking about your book. You'll be talking about play and really giving some practical strategies so that I, not no one else, just me, can walk <laughs> away with a bunch of different ideas. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.